This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. And I don't normally do this. Uh, This is usually James' job to come in and do the introduction. So I'm just going to go right into our guests. We are the last week we started with this and then the next couple of weeks that we are talking to veterans leading up to Memorial Day. Um, and so we have a special guest today who I'm kind of excited to talk to because of who he is and what he did. And um, But uh, Bob Seifert from Minnesota. And so, hi, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. Good. So, um, and then I have Troy Felton with us this afternoon also. Um, to be the co-host while right. James is on vacation. So it's kind of, he's having fun and here we are still in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, um, you know, we're going, we're talking to veterans and last week, uh, anyways, last week we started with myself. That was a complete accident. I had screwed up the schedule. I had actually intended on not being in it at all um, and talking to other people, but then anyways, uh, but Bob, you are, we're in the army. I was. Um, and so I, I guess I'm just going to let you explain kind of, you know, what, what the decisions or the reasons were that you joined, what you did, how long you were in, just tell a little bit about your history. Okay. Yeah. I, so I grew up on a farm here in Ottertail County. Um, was well, all the while when I was a kid, I, that's all I thought about was joining the military. Um, as I got older, uh, probably, you know, into my early teens, I uh, got interested in other things, um, cars and, you know, mechanical stuff. So I started tinkering around with a lot of that stuff. So I was looking at going to school for mechanical engineering or something. And about, you know, it was probably my ju- end of my junior year, I started getting just really fed up with school. And so I, I kind of started shopping around with recruiters and everything. And then, um, so beginning of my senior year in October, so that would be October of 83, was when the invasion of Grenada happened. And I woke up one morning and heard that on the radio, and I thought, oh, that's it. That's what I'm going to go do. So, you know, started hitting up recruiters again. My recruiter thought I was nuts because I wanted to jump out of airplanes and be a ranger and do all that stuff that we've just heard about in the news. And you know, he was a medic. And so he tried talking me out of it, tried talking me into being a medic. And I, all I wanted to be was an infantryman, because if you're going to be in the army, you might as well do the army stuff. Right. Yeah. So I ended up, he, he finally sent me to maps and I enlisted. Um, didn't go to a ranger battalion like I wanted to, because I had taken a bonus. So with the bonus, they sent me to the 82nd, which wasn't bad either. So I spent uh, four years in the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, um, which turned out to be a good um, good place to be anyway, because Special Forces, you know, at that time, 7th Group and 5th Group were on post. And so I got to know a lot of SF guys, too. And then a lot of the guys that were in my unit ended up going SF and everything. Well, because I had gone... I, towards the end of my four years there, about three years in, I went to ranger school. And then, so the 82nd kind of claimed dibs on me for two more years. So 
I wanted to re-enlist. There was a program back then that would put you into special forces. You could go try out for it, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And I had to stay, I was going to have to stay in the 82nd and I had already done everything there that I could do. So I ETS'd and thought, okay, maybe the mechanical engineering thing. Started school right away. Um, got bored with it almost immediately. And then desert storm came along all this while I was in the Minnesota guard. Um, so I volunteered for that, uh, liked it. At the same time, I had taken a lot of uh, biology classes and things like that in college and had become an EMT. So started looking into that and talked to the PJs or talked to the Air Force about being a PJ. And uh, the recruiter was lying. To, I didn't tell him I, had, I was a veteran that I had already been in. And so he was lying to me and I knew he was lying to me. So, okay, enough of the air force. So I ended up, uh, got mobilized for desert storm. When I came back from that, I did some stuff still in Minnesota in the guard full time. I was a sniper instructor while we still had a sniper school here. And then, uh, when that shut down, I finally went out to Colorado and, uh, there's a national guard special forces unit there. So I figured go through the Q course in the national guard unit. If you don't make it, there's no real obligation. You don't, you know, you're not getting shipped off worldwide assignment. So I went and did that. Uh, that was in, started that in 93, finished it at the end of 94. So it was about a year and a half going through the medic course. So I was a uh, special forces medic. Uh, did six months of language school after that. Um, so almost as soon as I finished that up, uh, they asked me if I wanted to go to the communications course. So later about four months later i left went and learned morse code for 10 weeks which was pure torture um and then went through the all i had to do was the phase two of that so i went through became a communication sergeant on top of it um and then not long after that they asked me if i wanted to go to operations the operations and intelligence course so i went through that and got another mos so within a few years, I had become an 18 Delta, an 18 Echo, and an 18 Fox, and then uh, had done did some other schools in there too. Um, looked into going back into the regular Army. Talked to the uh, use of uh, be the U.S. Army Special Forces Command Sergeant Major, and uh, he told me that well, I at the time 10th Group had moved out to Colorado, mm -hmm. and. So there was guys that had just PCS'd and then now they were taking some of those same guys that had just PCS from Fort Devens in Massachusetts and they were going to PCS them to Germany and they didn't want to go. So I volunteered to go in place of one of them. Yusufik Sergeant Major told me that I should just consider myself lucky if they let me back on active duty. So I kind of got a case of the ass over that and started looking into going to another unit at Bray at Fort Bragg. Um, but in the meantime, ended up, there was an AGR job opened up uh, in so special uh, Colorado has a special forces battalion or at the time had uh, two of the companies were still there. Plus the headquarters of the support company. So in between I went and I figured well, I'll do a couple years here or until I get sick of it. And then I'll go out to the, go out to Bragg and, uh, did it for two years or ended up doing four years there. And then that was right up until, uh, nine 11. So nine 11 happened. I was still out there. I was 
had already made up my mind I was quitting before that even happened. I was going to go out to brag. And um, our unit got picked to go with so my company. I was the uh, operations sergeant of it at the time. Got picked to go with fifth group. Um, so they they mobilized the unit. Um, we went out to Fort Campbell and then uh, ended up, so I had become a team sergeant in November. They took my team in December because I was the lowest ranking uh, team sergeant in the company. So they broke up my team. All I had left was a captain. So the captain and I went to uh, Saudi Arabia and did fire support for fifth group while they did the whole uh, the invasion was still going on. I missed the beginning of it, but uh, got in on while well, everything was still happening pretty much with uh, hunting for bin Laden and all the stuff they were doing up in Tora Bora and made it in for all that. So, and then I came back from that. I, well, I quit AGR. Um, I recruited actually here in Minnesota for about a year and quit that because again, there are some good recruiters and then there are some that are not and being around the ones that weren't uh, decided it was better. I went back out to Colorado. Um, they gave me another AGR job, even though I'd quit the one I'd been in. Uh, so I did that for a while again, um, did, you know, deployments, a lot of, uh, back then, like even before nine 11, uh, we did J sets. So they were, uh, it's a combined, you're working actually with a host nation. So uh, places I went were like Vanuatu, uh, Solomon Islands, um, Papua New Guinea, uh, you know, places like that just out in the middle of nowhere, uh, along with some bigger ones. But uh, we went to Thailand at least once a year. We went to Korea at least once a year. But you'd go in and train up uh, either their police forces or their military forces. Uh, so after I went back out there, did some more of those, and then we went to Iraq. Um, at that point, I had, I think I was, I had over 18 years, or I went over 18, I think, in Iraq, maybe, or something. So I was either going to go back to 10th group and stay there and finish out my time, or uh, Special Operations Command Africa was being stood up. So went over there for about a year, uh, helped stand up that command. And then I uh, came back and was back at uh, Fort Carson and retired out of Fort Carson in 2010. Okay. So that's the the long story of what I did in my career. Yeah. Well, you know, like when you're in the army, there's lots of, there's always, you know, things change and sometimes change very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I had in uh, my total time in was 26 years in that I did, uh, it was a little over 22 years of active duty in 26. So most of the time that I was not on active duty was while I was in college before I uh, got mowed for Desert Storm. So you went to Iraq. Did you also go to Afghanistan? Yep, I went to, so I did the fire support stuff for fifth group. And then uh, after that went uh, into Afghanistan, but then from Afghanistan up into K2, uh, Karshi Khanabad, uh, up in Uzbekistan. So it was up there linked up with my old team. Um, and then we went into Afghanistan. All right. Did you guys ever go into Syria? Accidentally. Yeah. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I was in Iraq, um, 
I was, my team had, uh, we were right on the border with Syria. So this is before Syria was a thing. We were not allowed to go over there. Uh, yeah. We had guys that we were watching, um, monitoring. You know, they were over in Syria, and then they would come through our port of entry. Uh, so I was right on the border. That was one of the things we ran. Was uh, our my ODA didn't run that, but on that combat outpost, uh, we ran the POA also or POE. Sorry. Um, um, what what years were was that did, was that, that was happening? 2007, 2008 was Iraq. Okay. So I was there for the surge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was I. Yeah. Actually. The surge was <laughs> kind of a joke. But. Yeah. The surge by keeping well, people a, who were already deployed to Baghdad in Baghdad. That's how. Happened yeah, that's us. what they did with us too. They they took. I mean, we used we did whatever we needed to do and we would I had a very uh for that team it was very intel ten intensive um and then so we would make our we would find our own targets and then we would execute those on those targets um while they really were pushing the surge part of it uh the battalions all the way I mean the Jasodif is running you know telling us how many people we have to put on a truck how many you know where we have to go, what we have, you know, how long we have to stay out because they're all they were looking for at that point was numbers. It was just yeah. trying to make good numbers up. So mm -hmm. it was a joke. And if you don't let anybody out, you know, we kept going out, but the guys that we were on the cop with was a cav unit and they weren't allowed to go out. So they stayed there, you know, and yes, of course, casualties are going to go down when you're not letting anybody off the fobs or the cops. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember so, what cab unit you were that was there with you? I don't remember anymore right. which one it was. There was a we took over from one and then another one replaced them mm -hmm. while we were there and I do not remember who they were anymore. Yeah. There's a lot of I mean the units they turn over can turn over very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um so Troy you had something? Yeah, I was just going to say that's a very extensive resume that you have there for was it 20 26 years that you were in yeah, 26 and, yep. yeah and oh. hearing you you talk back through the your experience in there bob me not being having been in the military first i want to thank you and rebecca both for your service i heard a lot of, of terms that you guys might have been a little bit more familiar with that, that i wasn't but i i think i caught the gist of it the one that that stuck out to me was the 18 delta uh, 18 Fox and I think 18 Echo. What, what is that? So those are the uh, the MOSs. So the, the Army uses uh, MOSs so for your job. It's called Military Occupational Specialty. So for when I was an infantryman, it was an I was an 11 Hotel and an 11 Bravo. So uh, direct fire, basically a rifleman, and then a, a heavy anti-armor weapons crew member. And then the 18 Delta is the Special Forces Medic. 18 Echo is the Special Forces Communication Sergeant, and the 18 Fox is the Special Forces Intelligence Sergeant. And then when I made E8, um, I was an 18 Zulu, because that's the, all of these career fields have basically when you hit some point in there, then you become the, the big guy, you know, that it's just one MOS. So everybody becomes a Zulu at that level. So if you're an instrument at an E8, you're an 11 Zulu. If you're a special forces guy at an E8, you're an 18 Zulu. Okay. 
Um, so, and you, so you got out as an E8 as a master sergeant. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, I was kind of, I mean, you know, after a master sergeant, I mean, not well, and you know, mass sergeant, first sergeant for people. Mm -hmm. Anyways, those are the same rank, but they're, you know, kind of have a different job. Um, saying that for everybody else's benefit that may not understand. But anyways, <laughs> after that, there really is only a sergeant major right. as an enlisted. That's the only other, that's the only hot, that's the only other rank that's higher. Right. Um, and I was, um, I was going to be given a, a position. I would have been in an E9 position. I would have gone to the academy. Well, they wanted me to reenlist and stay in. Um, when I got back from Germany and uh, I was at that point, I was just so fed up with all of the things I had seen, uh, especially in the war on terror, um, just the contradictions, the, we went into Iraq, um, you know, it was supposed to be a, their thing was by, with, and through. So you're supposed to be doing everything through with your Iraqi partner forces. So we had a infantry battalion that we worked with. And so when we went in there, we, we were doing that. And by the end, they completely went backwards on that. They were sending out ODAs by themselves a lot just to get the numbers up again, because of the surge and everything else that was going on. So just trying to make somebody's career at the end, because instead of doing the right thing, they, wanted to do what was going to get them so battalion commander now is going to get a group command because yeah of how many missions people went on you know uh, they actually measured everything i mean it, if you you know how many people had been killed how many supposed bad guys had been killed i mean that went up on their score sheet also so there's an incentive to go out and even though that person, a lot of the people we had in our area were, we went and we screwed that country up yeah. completely. And so you got a lot of people that are now out of work or, you know, we've completely broken their economy, everything else. So you've got guys that are taking money to attack you when they don't really want to attack you. They don't, their heart isn't in it, thankfully, because I mean, they didn't do it well. So, you know, we had IEDs that, just fizzled you know they they just the whole whole i mean i was very disillusioned i guess i'll just put it that way at the end of all of this that they had completely flip-flopped and you know if you'd gone out and killed these guys that are just trying to get some money for their family because they're literally starving because we've completely screwed their country up and screwed up their whole economy the you know they don't have money to the dirt you've seen the dirt there rebecca i mean it's just crap you can't grow anything in it they've destroyed it so it only grows with a lot of fertilizer well if they can't buy the fertilizer then they can't grow the crops uh we just we totally yeah we called it moon dust <laughs> yeah yeah this was just moon dust that's what yep. it was like. yeah it's like talcum powder some of it is i mean it's yeah. so fine ground up and yeah nothing grows in it unless they put i mean just loaded up with fertilizer well if the guy can't front the money for the fertilizer he can't there's no point in him planting anything so you know farms are just laying there with nothing in them we were up in an agricultural area you know and most of the people couldn't farm 
we screwed up the irrigation ditches. I mean, we had, you know, there's irrigation ditches running through that hole everywhere there. Um, they couldn't get water out of them because of, you know, things were all broken. Nothing worked right. We, you know, declared the bath party illegal. The bath party is the, they're the people that ran everything. So now nobody knows how to run anything. They can't yeah, generate power. <laughs> what a lot of people, I guess, you know, maybe if they haven't like looked at a map, but you know, Iraq is centered around the Fertile Crescent, yep. where civilization, you know, started. Yeah. So you yeah. have the Tigris and the Euphrates. I mean, everything is there in place that should have made it a perfect location for doing all that stuff. Um, and I was always, I was always fascinated by how green <laughs> Iraq, you know, at least parts of it actually. Yeah. Were. You had like this green, lush kind of, you know, big lakes. Lots of things growing and not like, you know, here, not like hardwood forests here, mm -hmm. um, but it was still, you know, there was a lot of things going on. And, um, and I was down in, um, well, you know, Baghdad was I'm trying to remember anyways, South, South kind of central and then to the West. That's where I was at. And so down there you have, it's mm -hmm. very green down there, but yeah. as soon as you leave the green, it's absolute desert. Yeah. Yeah. It's moonscape. Yeah. Hey, Bob, if, if I could ask through your long career with the army, did you, did you see big changes from kind of the midpoint towards the end or whereabouts? Did you see maybe some changes? Yeah. Um, good, uh, good question. Um, so I went in in 84. So cold war was still going on. Um, the unit I was in, the 82nd Airborne Division, had a their you know the capstone mission of that division. Even though most of the stuff that we were doing was down in Central and South America, that's where all the activity was. But our main mission was Europe. You know, and this is when the Soviet horde was going to come through the Fulda Gap and you know swamp Western Europe. So that was our big. I mean, that's what we trained for was to go up against the Soviet Union. And for, you know, part of her, all that, I was in that first part in the 82nd, I was a tow gunner. So, you know, with all the armor that the Soviets had, that was, you know, another big deal. Um, in our, the whole division was, the, the mission was to jump into Europe or air land into Europe, wherever you were going, and try to hold it for 72 to 96 hours until they could move other forces in there that were heavier, that could, you know, that had armor, that had, all the stuff to defeat these tanks. So we're going in with it, the 82nd wasn't a, is not a light division, but it's, it's airborne. So it, there's no tanks other than little reconnaissance vehicles that the one armor unit had that aren't tanks, they're aluminum, 50 cal rounds go right through them. Um, so that was the big mission, you know, so that all the while I was in the 82nd, that was the focus. Cold war was on. There was, what I saw was a definite change when you got into the early to mid nineties, when I was going through the qualification course for special forces, they were actually drawing down the army at that point. Um, the, one of the classes I was supposed to go into was canceled just because we went from five classes a year down to four. Uh, they let a bunch of guys out that year early, basically if they had like 15 years in, they were letting guys out. My wife was in, she was a Russian, uh, she was an intel analyst with, but she had Russian as her language. 
you know, the focus was off Russia. Everybody, you know, Russia was, or the Soviet Union wasn't an enemy anymore. Um, she was a Russian speaker. She ended up, they didn't care what, you know, if she re-enlisted or not. Um, so we had a young daughter at the time. So she got out and went to Fort Bragg with me when I went to the Q course. They were letting people out. They, um, 18 Deltas, uh, so the Special Forces medics were critically under strength. And they were letting them out, too, because, you know, the Cold War was over. So nothing was going to happen again until we ramped it all up over in uh, the Balkans. But, um, and, you know, because you got to keep something going, right? Um, but, yeah, so that and then into, you know, the 90s, we just did a lot of, basically, we worked for, essentially, you're working for the State Department. You're going out and keeping all these ties with other militaries. Um, you're training them, but at the same time, you're getting training out of it because you're becoming familiar with how they do things. Uh, so, and then a lot of that, you know, into Thailand and Korea uh, were the two big partners over in that part of the world. And then 9-11 kicked off and the focus changed to, it was all the war on terror and it stayed that way until I got out. So I went through probably three different phases in the military where, you know, what the focus was. Um, so yeah, it did change a lot. Did you ever end up in Kosovo? No, no. I was trying to get on one of those trips with 10th group. Um, they were sending guys over and, you know, we had, we were right on Fort Carson with 10th group and, you know, they needed people, but a lot of times they just deployed with short, you know, teams that didn't have all the people on it. I was trying to get on one of those, but it ends up being a funding thing between how do you move money from one component to the other? There were ways to do it. Um, but that didn't really get really well ironed out until uh, after 9-11. After 9-11, we were able to deploy with, you know, everybody needed help. So you could yeah. go pretty much anywhere and they would figure out the funding for it. Yeah, I know. I was on orders to go to Kosovo when 9-11 happened. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, now you talk about Kosovo and people are like, oh, oh, yeah, that was a thing. You know, yeah, okay. it, most of the time people don't even remember it. I mean, you, right. it's like it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, that was while it was going on. That was a big deal. Um, I went through the Q course with a guy that was uh, Croatian and, you know, as soon as he was. So he's a native speaker. As soon as we finished the Q course. He disappeared. He was gone for like two years just doing and he wasn't over there with 10th group. He was 10th group had people over there, but these mm -hmm. were not regular deployments. Once the regular deployment started for that, he came home because they didn't want him in there anymore. But yeah, he was native speaker. He um, didn't have to go to language school with the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have to jump in anywhere? Uh, not for, uh, not uh, under combat. Okay, just for fun. <laughs> we were trying to get one in Iraq to one of the targets we were going to try to execute. Um, and the command shot it down. Just mostly, I think, because they didn't want somebody, some of the guys in the company getting a, getting mm. a combat jump out of it and other guys wouldn't. Right. That wouldn't be their biggest problem with it the team well, gonna, the team well, that i replaced uh they had done a they did the uh i think the only halo jump in iraq 
in that okay. in that one. Well, there was other people jumped in free fall, but um, they did it as an ODA. Can you explain what a halo jump is? Oh, sorry, no, another acronym. <laughs> so halo is high altitude, low opening, but it's mm -hmm. actually uh, so it falls under military free fall. So most of the uh, most of the jumping that people do is it's a static line jump. So it's fairly low altitude. Probably the highest you jump from is about 1500 feet. Um, and then I've jumped as low as about 400 and that was not probably intentional. It was just, they were, <laughs> it was really windy. We jumped into Turkey and, uh, ended up two of the Turks that were on the jump with us got killed just because the winds were so high. We jumped in very high winds. Our commanding, the commanding general of the division jumped in with us and uh, he ended up being medevac with a head injury, medically retired from the army for it. Um, so any, generally though, the, the limit, the up, the under, the lower limit, I guess, is 500 feet that you're supposed to jump from all the way up to about 1500. You can go higher than that, but then it's harder to determine where you're going to land because the chutes are not, the parachutes are not steerable. Right. Very they are steerable, but you can't really get anywhere with them. They're good for right. turning and that's about it. And then, so high altitude, low opening, or you can also do a standoff or a high altitude, high opening jump where you jump out and then deploy your chute right away. Uh, that's good for like getting across borders or something. So the plane can stay on one side, you jump out and you fly the parachute across into another area. Cause you can go, depending on, you get the winds right and everything, you can go 20 miles cross country with those. Yeah, I worked at um, Airborne School, um, yep. the Troop Medical Clinic for Airborne School. So oh, yeah. got to see a lot of um, um, interesting injuries, I guess, on getting, yeah. you know, yep. so. I was going to ask with, with the landing, you're coming in at a pretty good speed on that too, right? Like, is there a lot of injuries that take place to the, the knees and ankles? and? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot of like wear and tear. So I did not, I never broke anything. I never really sprained anything on a jump, but I, you know, tore up I mean, just joints being worn out. I did get a really bad head injury on one jump. Um, actually two jumps. My first jump was a head injury. And then probably about my, uh, somewhere in the thirties, um, uh, I had another one where I leapfrogged, uh, with these parachutes, if you, you know, one parachute is above another one, there's no air up above this other parachute so you leap they call it leapfrogging so i went past him into the ground so i at about i was probably about 120 feet when he went under me and i went right into the ground no time to react it no there were, it, i mean the parachute probably started to open up a little bit at the end again but it kind of collapses it and then mm -hmm. so i came to and i couldn't see out of my right eye um so pretty decent concussion out of it yeah and uh so yeah another one so the first jump i did in jump school i didn't really you know everything looked so strange from up in the air you're coming down and all of a sudden i realized that there was jeep tracks and then you finally got a scale of what you know how close i was and i hit the ground hit my head uh, i don't remember the second or third jump so we did three jumps that day i only remember the first one so, yeah. yeah, it does beat you up and then, but the static line is actually fairly safe compared to like military free fall. 
you get a softer landing if you land correctly, but there's a lot more potential for uh, running into somebody in the air, somebody opening up underneath you, uh, you fly through them. So that, that happens with, I mean, it's not a real regular thing, but it does happen. And it's not, I'm not, I'm never really surprised when I hear another free fall accident that resulted in a fatality because it's probably one a year. At yeah, least. We, and, and there's not that many people that do it. We had, um, cause at Fort Benning, you know, there's a ranger battalion at Fort Benning. Yeah, Ranger Rendezvous one year happened yeah. during a oh. uh, thunderstorm. Yeah. And I just happened to be working at the ER that day. And we took in a significant amount of Rangers that had been struck by lightning on the way down. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, I, you know, you can't cancel Ranger Rendezvous, not even. No, free. they're never, they're not going to do that. That's <laughs> a big they, deal. they jumped anyways. So. Yeah. Um, I suspect some of them never jumped again after that, but yeah. some of those injuries were pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I guess I wanted to, you know, because you're part of the Libertarian Party, and yes. so are we, obviously, because we're doing the podcast. And <laughs> but so you know, um, what was your transition like? How did how did you get here to this? Well, you know, thinking a little differently, especially considering your background. Yeah. So I actually, I would say that. I probably grew up thinking that way. Mm -hmm. um, so grew up in the 70s. If you read back through 70s and the early 80s, you think about some of the stuff that was going on, some of the movements that were happening. So you had, uh, like, I remember, um, not that I wanted to join them or anything, but Posse Comitatus was a big deal. Um, so if you ever heard of Gordon Call out in North oh. Dakota, and that, so that happened when I was in high school. Um, you know, but I really identified, you know, they're tax protesters. They're, you know, they just kind of took that extra step. Um, but I mean, go back into that whole thing. If you, because I've remembered as a kid, kind of being sympathetic towards that side of it. And then as I got older, actually, well, the whole militia thing back in the early 90s, that's when I was going through the Q course. Um you know, there were, there was an underground newspaper that was going through special forces. The chain of command tried, you know, was trying to find these people and punish them. But there was a lot of uh, very, not so much, I mean, because it's the army, so it's not anti-government, but it was anti, you know, the intrusions into your liberty. And right. this was actually happening in, the, I mean, there was people that were very supportive of that in the military also and there has been probably all along now there's you know big witch hunts to try to find them back then it was only the only ones i knew about were you know, within special forces but it was there was uh that has always been there i've always been very sympathetic towards you know anybody that's freedom-minded doesn't want to be you know ruled over by the government i mean hell so special forces you know the motto is depresso uh, de oppresso liber um, to liberate the oppressed i mean that's what we're supposed to be doing and then we go in and do sometimes the opposite but um no i i've probably been that way most of my life i was 
I didn't really consider myself a Republican. I always voted Republican because that seemed like, you know, they were the good guys. And then the more time you spend around it, probably 2012. So I had retired in 2010, 2012, you know, it was the presidential election. Uh, so it went to, we went to our caucus, you know, precinct caucus meeting. We went to the county one and then watched while the kind of the old guard Republicans squashed the whole Ron Paul thing, you know, yeah. and were actually, I mean, excluded. There was a whole bunch of people that were you know, going to be delegates. They wanted to be delegates for Ron Paul. That's why they were there. They were all excited about it. And then watch the old Republicans, you know, that I've been here since, you know, we fought FDR, damn it, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they were not going to have anything to do with uh, Ron Paul or any, you know, anything like that. And then so I really started to get turned off by what the party actually was. If you watched them nationally, everybody, there's no way you couldn't be turned off by them, but you kind of think that, well, maybe it's different locally. And the more I got involved in local politics, the more you realize that there's really no difference. The party bosses run the party. You're not welcome. Uh, your, your ideas are not welcome. You're just going to, you know, endorse the candidates that they support and that's all it's going to be. Right. So finally last summer or last uh, spring, we had run a candidate against kind of the darling of the Republican party. And so he didn't get endorsed through the regular process. So he ended up went and, uh, took it to a primary, uh, didn't get it either, just kind of was close, but um, wasn't there. But anyway, after the uh, the Senate district convention that I was at, I was a delegate. I voted, you know, for the for our guy. Uh, he didn't get it. So at that point, I, I think it was on, that was probably, that was on a Saturday. I think on Monday, I went and sent in my stuff to the Libertarian Party. I just I had enough. And so I, I've kind of been a lifelong libertarian, I would say, but I finally joined the party last year just because of just finally being completely fed up with what the Republicans were doing and how I mean, they say one thing, but yet really they're just the other half. And, right. you know, they, they each take turns being the bad guy and they're really, I think both parties, are, you know, their job is to control their people and get them to vote the right way and this you know well and you could see it last uh last year in minnesota if you watched what was going on between the republicans and the democrats and the leadership and you'd always see the leadership together in huddles of both parties and then they would figure out what they were going to pass so right there's the whole thing is broken so i finally just came here instead so i there's <laughs> <laughs> Two things that um, I wanted to touch on, and I wanted to make sure we talk about both of them, but I had only planned on one because I wanted to talk to you about what happened in Ottertail County. Yep. Um, you got wrapped up in that. But before, because you mentioned something, and um, not a lot of people, this isn't a well, the Gordon Call situation yeah. is, is not a situation very many people are aware of. Nope. And I, and honestly, the only reason that I know about it is because one of the guys that went to prison over that situation, as it turns out, um, is 
uh, one of my customers, <laughs> Farmer's Market. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So small world. And yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, I've known him for years. Yeah. I didn't know that about him until I ran for school board last year. And so then he realized, you know, like, oh, you know, I, so we started talking politics and that kind of stuff. And he let me know his history yeah. and um, that kind of thing. I'm not going to say his name on here because he is still um, not the kind of guy that, you know, he's, he spent five years in prison because of yeah. it. So he's not going to, he's not willing to throw himself out there anymore. Um, but can, how much information or what do you know about the story? Because there's, like I said, that's, it's not something that a lot of people know about. No, um, no. In fact, most people don't. And it happened. I mean, nobody around here remembers it either. Right. Um, you know, it only happened over in, I can't remember what the name of the town was anymore over in North Dakota, but it was a big deal when it happened because that was national news was happening out in Podunk, North Dakota. And, um, yeah, it was a really big deal. It was a big influence to me. I mean, if you look at what has happened since it all, I mean, that was probably one of the first big incidences of that sort of thing happening. You know, Randy Weaver was later, Waco yeah. was later, um, but you got a lot of the same players uh, mm -hmm. involved in it and they're, and the MO is the same. They're trying to crush, you know, a lot of people get away with not paying taxes and they'll, you know, they don't really care. I mean, they care if they catch you, they happen to catch you, but what Gordon call was doing was trying to recruit people to his cause. So he was proselytizing basically, you know, the posse comitatus thing, the um, not paying taxes and that can't stand. So they targeted him, you know, specifically for that. And so there ended up, without getting into the whole thing and and there's a lot of speculation about you know what the reasons were and everything else uh there's a couple of books out on it so whenever there was something that came out on it even with the last one it was probably in the 90s or or i mean in the 2000s um there was a book came out written by one of the or actually two of the deputies or police officers that were along on that um but so i always tried to read everything i could on it but yeah, he ended up, they were, you know, they tried to arrest him, serve a warrant on him, federal warrant on him. And uh, he, they were ready for him and they started shooting, you know, so there was a big shootout, a um, couple of guys killed. Um, and then Gordon Call and his son and probably uh, there was other people also, mm -hmm. but um, they disappeared. So nobody really knew where they were. And then later on, I can't remember the exact timeline of how long this was, but I remember then when they they were surrounded in a farmhouse down in Arkansas, I think it was, and basically, uh, you know, it was like you knew that he wasn't going to survive this thing because their goal was to kill him. Yeah. And they killed him, and they burned the house down, and, I mean, a lot of things that you start to see later on. There was, um, I can't even remember when the, think they've got what was it i can't remember what town what city that was either where the fbi started fire and burned a whole apartment building down that happened when i was in high school too um so you know you're already starting to see these patterns emerge and gordon call was the the one that i really remember you know as, as 
just because it was close by. Yeah. You then, should sometime when you're uh, up in Bemidji, maybe I'll introduce you to my friend because I've, I've heard the whole story from his perspective, right? And yeah. so yep, I and I've heard it both ways. One of the marshals that was on it, the guy that lived, the marshal, uh, later on worked in the courthouse in Fargo. And when I was doing work study, when I was in college after being in the 82nd, the VA had a, the regional office was in the federal building downtown. So I was able to talk to him several times too. And he wouldn't really say much about that, but I mean, every once in a while, just knowing that that was the guy that was <laughs> in the shootout. So you kind of get, and then knowing a lot of mili- or, uh, law enforcement people are on the area, you kind of get one impression. Um, but a couple of the guys that were involved in it, you know, were, really kind of sympathetic towards Gordon Call also, just because of the way that whole thing was handled. They didn't feel it was handled correctly. Yeah, well, so, I mean, you didn't live through it, so. Right. Yeah, and and the thing was, you knew that, I mean, that was the attitude, or that's what everybody really thought, was that, okay, once they catch him, they're going to kill him because of what he did. You know, so you get, some people are allowed to do extrajudicial killings, and some are not. So. Right. So um, what happened in Ottertail County? <laughs> so um, we had, well, so it's, it's a lot of influence coming from the federal level. So you got mm-hmm. Michelle Fishbach is the representative for uh, CD7. And what has happened is that you've got her staffers. So one of her staffers is the chair of the Ottertail County BPOU. Um, and they're in other counties also. So they're, you can see the fingers, you know, getting out into these local races. Um, there was a representative. So it's Jordan Rasmussen was a representative. He had replaced Bud Nornis. Bud Nornis had been there forever. Wouldn't go away. Finally retired. Um, Jordan ran pretty much, I mean, he was unopposed. Um, it was kind of like the position was willed to him by Bud Nornis. So he became a representative, and that was only two years before. Now he was running for state senate because with redistricting, uh, Bill Ingebrigtsen was going to retire. He was the senator for uh, the way the senate district was made up at that time. And then we had a little uh, uh, conflict, too, with... Uh, Tory Westrom. So Tory was with redistricting, they both ended up in the same district. So there was a little uh, drama there also. Finally, Tory's going to run down in his district or <laughs> going to move into his district that most of his former district had been in. Never actually lived in the house, but you know, that was another whole thing that went on in that one. So Jordan's running uh, in Senate District 9. And there was a lot of people that didn't feel that he was conservative enough. And so they found another candidate to run against him. That was Nathan Miller. So Nathan ran against him um, through the process, you know, from the county convention to the Senate District 9 convention. um, Lost, but not by a lot. So he decided since it was close, he would take it to a primary. So he went to the primary and lost, not by a lot. Um, but that had already kind of upset the the old guard Republicans because they're 
their candidate that they were supporting, you know, was having to now spend extra money. The Republican Party spent, dumped a bunch of extra money into the district just because. And Nathan Miller's running as a Republican. He's a conservative. So if, who cares really who gets in there? You've got a Republican, right? But yet they didn't want to have, I mean, it's almost like they want to be able to control their people where Nathan Miller would not be somebody that they could control. So, and that upset the BPOU to no end. Plus there was, you know, so during the race, I was actually helping with the sheriff's candidate. So I didn't really, especially after the Senate or after the uh, primary, I wasn't campaigning with Nathan anymore um, or helping him on his campaign. I was helping this candidate that we had for sheriff. But they still put me in, lumped me in with the other, with the 33 that they weren't, they didn't let us, I was already out of the Republican Party anyway, so it didn't yeah. matter. But I would not have been allowed to attend the convention this spring. Um, Simply because you just supported the wrong candidate. Yeah. Um, well, my probably my big sin was that I had been out collecting signatures for Bull Johnson and for Jake. And yeah. even that, so you'd think, right, this is the Republican Party, you should support Tanner. as much democracy or as much, you know, giving the people their choice. And that was my great transgression was helping them try to get on the ballot to run against a Republican candidate. Um, you know, my wife helped with the Nathan Miller campaign all the way to the end. Um, so that's where she was out. But and there's so there's 33 people that were not allowed against all their against their constitution, against all the bylaws. You can't. I mean, I'm elected by my township to represent them mm -hmm. to this convention. It's not the other way around that the BPO gets BPOU gets to pick who they're going to have in these conventions. You know, we're representatives of the precinct that we're from and they've completely turned it around. Um, so they're able to turn off representation for whoever they want to. And that was the big thing. That was the big, you know, dust up last year and then going into this spring that's that's where part of that bill i think with bumping up to 10 percent also um so the republicans are not they like to not have their names on anything but you know that their fingers are in it that they're mm -hmm. also pushing these things and it's just i mean that's the mo for them it's you know the things that they want to get past that isn't going to be popular with people that vote for them. Ottertail County is 70, 70 to 75 percent votes Republican. And they don't even it doesn't even matter who it is. They just vote for the R. So, you know, anything. Uh, all of this is a threat to them, but they can't put their name on it, you know, that they're trying to exclude other people. But they're in it. And the Nathan Miller, Jordan Rasmussen race is one of the big ones because that went out to the very end. And uh, uh, I think that's where some of this stuff they're they're colluding with the DFL to try to restrict that access to, you know, candidates that didn't make it through the endorsing process from the BPOU, any, you know, any of this stuff. Basically what we saw in Ottertail County, they're trying to exclude that. Yeah, well, the Repu chair of the Republican Party wrote a letter 
in support of increasing the major party status from yeah. 5% to 10%. Yep. And I, I went to the rep, um, House of Representatives, um, their committee hearing, mm -hmm. and it was, it was really nice. You can tell that there is a split in between in the Republican Party in Minnesota. Yeah. Because yep. the ones, the people, the Republicans that were sitting on the committee, and one of them is my uh, Matt Bliss. He is the representative for Bemidji. Um, they took the letter from the Republican chair and like crumpled it up and threw it into the, you know, the center of the floor. I was like, oh, that was amazing. Thanks, guys. I mean, you know, but so you can tell that there's a lot of conflict. Yeah. In the Republican Party in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, We've got um, some of the other county BPOUs in Senate District 9 now have formally condemned the Ottertail County BPOU for their actions last year and this spring. So they've actually gotten letters from those BPOUs within the Senate district that are, you know, a lot of them were Miller supporters, you know, and so they don't like what's going on either. So yeah, there is a split. There's, yeah. you got kind of the old guard type Republicans that just want things to be the way, the way they want it. And, uh, and then you've got, I mean, they're really good people. You know, they're conservative. They're, they are actually pro-small government. Um, it's just that the Republican Party isn't pro-small government. Right. I know. And up here in Beltrami County, the GOP is, I mean, you, they wonder why they're losing races. Yeah. I mean, unless you're in a heavily, you know, um, if unless you're in an area that's just entrenched red, you're going to be fine. Yeah. But um, you know, they're, they just, the moment that they have an opportunity and that was my experience, the moment they have an opportunity, they're just going to bend on their principles and just yeah. act completely like the Democrats or, well, you know, they act the same. Yeah. My representative. Um, so I can't even remember what bill it was now. There's so many of them that people have flip-flopped on, but, um, you know, very secure district. He's going to get reelected as long as he wants to run because, you know, I think at this point it's going to be really hard to run somebody against them and make it through the process that the BPOU has set up. But he voted, and they were. This is a spending bill. It was almost two billion, whatever that one was, earlier this spring. He voted for it. No, I don't. I don't sorry about that. <laughs> um, I don't think he wanted to. I don't think that's in his nature to want to vote for those, but Mary Franson, uh, next, you know, couple districts away, voted for it also. Both, I think, probably fairly conservative. Um, Mary Franson did a lot of good work during COVID. Um, some stuff that wasn't so good either, but they're both of them voted for it, and I think that was just some arm twisting by the the state party that. You know, we have to have so much support for this so that it passes because the DFL probably couldn't pass it on their own. And so they had a couple of the Republicans and they're in both in very secure districts. They're not going to lose. And that might, you know, it might even be like, you know, the mob does where they got to dirty somebody up so that they they own them after that. Right. Uh, and so they did. I mean, they they uh, voted for it. They spent almost two billion dollars in that bill of the surplus. So, you know, they're they're just as bad as anybody else as far as the 
the overall state party goes. Yeah, I think you have some good people in the Republican Party, but um, it's. Yeah, I mean, and we just have to convince them that we're a viable option. Right. And that's the really hard thing, hard. You know, I'm probably not the greatest orator when I go to talk to them either, but a lot of them are just they've been Republicans for so long that they can't get it through their mind that they might not be a Republican for the rest of their life. You know, right. you know, and they like the platform. They like the idea that the Republican Party has, but the Republican Party never seems to really follow their platform. They just they have a platform out there that works nice for advertising and then they do whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Well, we only have a few more minutes left. I was told I have to keep this under an hour because YouTube oh. is. Um, and so I, you know, is there anything else that you would maybe if we didn't cover or anything else talk about? No, I, no. not that I can think of. I, I guess pull my string yeah. and we'll start talking. And I just probably have to probably want me to shut up sometimes. <laughs> and we covered a lot. So, um, I mean, you know, there's only so much time, but yeah, no, I, was really I really appreciate talking to you because I as an army medic we always looked up to the 18 deltas you guys were like the standard of you know what it meant to be high speed um so you know well, I you. um it's I mean I liked I loved doing that job when I was doing it I mean and the training we got was I mean you couldn't ask for better training it's the best best medical training that you can get outside of being a doctor I think and right. we learned a lot of stuff that was I mean, normally only a doctor would be doing and we were able to do it we were trained to do it and that was a fun thing about going on those j sets in the 90s was that a lot of times you got to do it because you know you might be doing you know a mission out someplace and one of the docs wouldn't make it and you'd go in and be the doc you know right and it was it was fun it was challenging it was a lot of responsibility but it was mm -hmm. it was really good training yeah well thank you very much for being on here this evening no, you're and um, yeah, appreciate your time. And I just wanted to, I have, was told I need to um, announce events coming up. So there is an event on May 18th. It's the Women's Health and Data Privacy featuring Twyla Brace. It's one of our, it's our women's affiliate. I can't remember the, which counties it is, <laughs> sorry. But it's on lpmn.org. So if you want to go find out more information, you can go onto the website and get the link. Um, but, and, you know, if you would like to join the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, it's lpmn.org, and then just, you know, find the links from there. So, again, thank you for your time, and we are right at 59 minutes. There we go. Perfect. Perfectly. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you. At 59 minutes. There we go. Perfect. Perfectly. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yep, you're welcome. Thank you.